Amen. Uh, well, do uh, open up, uh, back up to um, Acts 16. If you uh, have a Bible with you, it'd be great if you can follow along with that as we work our way uh, through that. But let's just turn to the Lord again and uh, commit this time looking at his word uh, to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what we've just been singing of and what we've just been remembering around your table, the salvation um, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for what we find in him. Lord, please would you draw us closer to him, uh, and please would you remind us um, of your great salvation plan um, and how you are bringing that about uh, even today as we look at your word. Please would you open it up to us. Would our hearts uh, be ready to hear and to respond to it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sometimes uh, we can look out at the world uh, around us and we can begin to wonder, can't we? Does God really have a plan? A plan in amongst all the chaos, all that we see around us. A plan to bring people to salvation. To keep building his church, even today. Seems like, after all, if anything, here in Northern Ireland, people are generally moving away from God rather than towards him. So is it that God doesn't have a plan? Or maybe somehow he isn't able to bring his plan about. And, and of course, the question that comes with that for us is, what part do we have to play? Or do we have a part? Can we really play a part? Can we make a difference? in the world around us? We can begin to question. We can begin maybe just to feel a sense of discouragement. And it's with those feelings and those legitimate questions, I think, sometimes in mind that our passage this evening speaks so powerfully. It speaks to us and it reminds us that, yes, we really can have confidence we can have confidence that God really is building his church. That's his plan, and he's able to carry it out. In fact, what we see here in these verses is a God who is fully in control, directing events, using them as part of his plan. And we see a God here who is able to change even the unlikeliest person's life and heart. What we're going to see this evening is God's salvation plan as it continues to unfold. And as we see this this evening, here's where I hope that should leave us as we leave this evening into another week. Increasingly confident and increasingly expectant that if it's God's will, he can and will continue to do the same here in Belfast today. And should also leave us hopefully ready, eager, willing even, and eager to go play our part. Play our part in that ongoing plan. Remember, if you were with us last week, where we are, where we find ourselves. We've just seen, haven't we, this critical moment in the whole of the book. Where the gospel has been clarified, has been reaffirmed. All, Jew and Gentile alike, are saved only by faith in Christ, through the grace of the Lord Jesus. There is nothing more that we need to do. 
And last week, we then left Paul and Silas now going around these various churches in verses 1 to 5 in Galatia, delivering this clarified gospel message back to them. And as they did that, we saw strengthening, didn't we? Strengthening and encouraging as the churches received this good news of grace. So as we pick up tonight in chapter 16, verse 6, the question for Paul, Silas, Timothy now, and many, any others who are with them, is where next? Now with geographical, cultural restrictions lifted, where would God have them take this good news of Christ? Thinking of this reminds me of the show Race Across Canada. It's one of the Race Across the World shows. I don't know if anybody's tracked with those. For a while, Heather and I were addicted to that, uh, the one through Canada. Where were these travelers as they worked their way through the country? Where were they headed to next? Here are the same questions, but even more exciting. Where is the next step for the gospel? Where are these missionary travelers heading to next? And what are we going to see as they go there, as they take the gospel further and further afield? And here in verses 6 to 12, we see the answer to that kind of question, don't we? We see where next as the gospel goes out. And it's going to be this particular place, this particular place called Philippi, as God leads Paul and Silas there. Look with me at the specifics of what we see here. There in verse 6, we see initially that Paul and the others seem to be considering heading west. They're heading west to uh, Philippi, heading west, sorry, to the province of Asia to preach the word there. But we read that the Holy Spirit has kept them from going. Now, we aren't told the how or the why. But obviously, as Paul, Silas, and the others were seeking the Lord's direction in where to go next, God has guided them, hasn't he? And guided them initially through closed doors. Maybe travel had proved impossible. Maybe as they prayed, the Spirit had just given them a united sense that this wasn't the time to go on to Asia. As I say, we don't know the specifics. And we see this continue on, don't we, in verse 7. More closed doors, it seems. Having then traveled through these regions of Phrygia and Galatia, they reach the border of Mysia. And they try again to head north into that region, only again to be prevented from doing so. The spirit of Jesus not allowing them to go. Now, as we read this, the language is kind of surprising, isn't it? But also, I hope, encouraging. Because as we read these kinds of verses, they remind us that God can even be above closed doors. Using them to guide and lead us to where he then would have us be in our lives and where he would have us witness to him and for him. See, it wasn't God's plan for Paul and the others to go to these other places yet. He was leading them somewhere else first. And so, verse 8, they continue on, presumably continuing to seek the Lord's direction. And they pass by Mysia, and they reach the city of Troas on the coast. And there, then in verse 9, we see why it is that God's prevented them from going into these other places. Because he would have them go to Macedonia. Paul has this vision, doesn't he, of this Macedonian man begging him to come over, help them. And we read in verse 10 that this was exactly the kind of direction that Paul, Silas, and Timothy were looking for, were waiting for. 
And they're ready to respond, aren't they? All those closed doors, now forgotten, they concluded, well, this is the one door that God is opening for us. So that's where we're going to go. Interestingly, did you see the little shift in pronoun there in verse 10? It seems that now Luke himself has joined this traveling party, hasn't he? Maybe in Troas. We write, he writes there in verse 10 that we got ready to at once leave for Macedonia. And it's worth bearing in mind then that as we read the rest of this chapter, what we have, not just our Paul's maybe described accounts of, of what's happened as in other parts of Acts, but actually what Luke personally witnesses too, which just kind of adds to the excitement, doesn't it? And we read in verse 11 that, as we said, it's this specific place of Philippi that God's going to take them to. Now, uh, the church, uh, the, the city of Philippi eventually was left abandoned uh, in the 1540s. It's found in what is today northeastern Greece. But here we see it described, don't we, by Luke, as a Roman colony, a leading city in the district of Macedonia. This specific place, Philippi, is where God has led Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and Luke too. And as we see this, just think again of that expectation at this moment. This is where God's brought us. I wonder what his plan is. I wonder what his purposes are as we come to this city. What's going to happen as we preach the gospel here? And as we look on, as Luke continues, it does not take long for those purposes to begin to unfold. As we see God's plan to bring more and more people into his kingdom. Building his church now in this place. And as we see this, we see this first of all in verses 13 to 15. As he opens this first person's heart. This lady, Lydia's heart, and he saves her. Guys at the back, do you mind just clicking through onto the next, um, the next slides for me? Just onto number two there for me. This doesn't seem to be working. Thank you. We see here, look, if you pick up with me in verse 13, we see here an idea that Philippi does not have a synagogue because that's often where Paul would have gone first, isn't it? Do you remember in those other times? They often go to the synagogue. But here we see that they go outside the city and they expect to find this place of prayer. And that's what they find, isn't it? They sit down. They sit down with the women praying there and they speak to them. And the detail, again, shows us here that Philippi must have had very little Jewish influence, probably unlike almost any of the other cities that they'd gone to before. And as we read on, we see that this lady, Lydia, who was there, well, she wasn't of Jewish heritage either. She comes from the Greek city of Thyatira, modern-day Turkey. Yet we read in verse 14 that Lydia, here she is, presumably along with these other women, and she was a worshipper of God. That is, likely to be someone who is believing, behaving like a Jew, although hasn't become one. And so it's to these people that Paul and the others begin to speak. And there in verse 14 we see the incredible result, don't we? These words, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to Paul's message. 
Now, as we see this, there is something really, really important for us to stop and to recognize in what Luke says here, in his language. Because notice with me who it is that Luke makes clear is at work here. It's the Lord. Yes, it was Paul who was speaking, but it was God, wasn't it? It was God who, by the Holy Spirit, caused Lydia to respond in faith to what he was saying. And as we see this in Lydia and in her conversion, her coming to Christ, it's important to recognize and say that what we see here is actually true for every Christian believer. You know that moment when you became a Christian, or perhaps for you it was, it was a, moment, a stretch of time over a number of months or years, whatever the case may be. Do you know what was happening then? That was God working in your heart, opening your heart to respond to the message that you heard about Jesus Christ. Without God opening our hearts, the truth is that none of us would respond. The gospel message, if you can picture it like this, would have been like a a tennis ball smashed against a hard brick wall that would have come straight back. Or like that letter that we don't want, that we mark immediately, return to sender, and we put back in the post box. It is only God himself who causes us to hear the gospel and to receive it, to receive it as good news for us, good news for our lives. And as we see this happening in Lydia's life, and then seemingly in all the members of her household too, as they hear the gospel preached, from what we read in verse 15, we have to see here, I think, an encouragement and a challenge. First, the encouragement for us. We can give thanks to God, if we are those who are trusting Christ this evening, that he has opened our hearts to receive Christ. And then the encouragement too, that as we do look out at a changing world around us and can feel that temptation to give up on the gospel being something relevant perhaps that people will respond to, We can remember in these verses and remind ourselves that ultimately it is not on us whether people will respond or not. That happening or not does not rely on our fancy, relevant words, but ultimately that is the Lord's work. And as we see here, the Lord is able, isn't he? The Lord is able in just an instant to transform someone's life, to speak hope grace to them. And so then to the challenge that we see here. While we find freedom and hope in the fact that someone's coming to Christ doesn't come down to our persuasiveness, our eloquence, our relevance, it is the Lord who saves. We also, like Paul and the others here, are given a role to play, aren't we? To be those boldly proclaiming the gospel to those around us. Here in verse 14, it is Paul's message, isn't it, that the Lord opens Lydia's heart to respond to. I wonder, as we think about this story, if we put ourselves into this story, use the imagery here. Who is by your river? Who has the Spirit led into your life? 
could be a neighbor, couldn't it, that you've suddenly got talking to a bit more recently? Maybe the person who you sit next to regularly at work. The person who you talk to at school pickup. The person who serves you your coffee. It could be anyone, couldn't it? But we, like Paul here, need to be ready. Need to be ready to then speak the gospel to whoever God has put around us. And as we do that, we can be praying that God would take our words, even as weak, as stumbling as they may seem, and that he would use them as a means to bring those people to himself, to salvation in Christ. Here in these verses, we see the Lord beginning to build his church here in this particular place in Philippi. What about our particular place? God's led us in this moment here to Belfast, whether we've lived here all our lives or not. Here's where we are. Are we ready in our place to play our part too? This week, when somebody asks about the weekend, could you really be bold enough to tell them, to tell them about what you did, you went to church, to even tell them about the why you went, because there we, are, we hear the gospel, and we hear the hope that we have in Christ. Or when you get home this evening, maybe you could just think and pray again, is there someone that I could fire a text to? A text someone, maybe inviting them to, again to come to our Hope Explored over the coming weeks. Remember, as we read in his word, the Lord is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Let's be those who are bold to tell people that and to point them to Christ. Picking back up in our passage, as we said earlier, it seems from verse 15 that this same message has been heard and believed by the rest of Lydia's household too. And she then welcomes Paul, doesn't she? Luke and these others into her home to stay with her. God's beginning to build his church. And we see him seemingly continue to do that, don't we? In verses 16 to 18, if you look there with me. As we read of how he releases and saves this slave girl who's possessed by an evil spirit. In these verses, we read about how Paul and his companions meet this female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And she was earning, wasn't she, this great deal of money for her owners by this fortune-telling. But this is no one-off meeting. We then read on that Luke says in verse 17 that this lady was following Paul and us all the time, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And we read, don't we, that she kept this up for many days. What a scene. (laughs) What drama. You can imagine, can't you, Paul, Paul and the others trying to go around the city here of Philippi, speaking to others about Jesus. And this lady just constantly there, shouting in the background, distracting people, interrupting them as they were talking. No wonder we read, don't we, these these, uh, words next. Finally, Paul becomes so annoyed... So troubled, so disturbed, that he turns around, doesn't he? And he commands the Spirit, in the name of Jesus, to come out. And we read that at that moment, the Spirit left her. 
It's striking, uh, isn't it, that twice before in Luke's gospel account, we read of Jesus doing almost exactly the same. Casting out demons, an evil spirit who once uh, in the synagogue in Galilee and once that man for that man named Legion. Remember, both of them shouting, shouting at Jesus. And in both of those instances, Jesus had the authority simply to command the spirits to leave. And they did. And that's what we see here, isn't it? Has Christ's authority over evil spirits diminished as he's ascended to heaven? Not in any way. What we see here is exactly the same as before. Immediate obedience on the part of the spiritual world when it comes to Jesus. Luke's gospel account, we read that that was, he, he was a full of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Here, in Acts, we see all that he continues to do. This is a great example, isn't it? And again, I think this evening, as we see this, this should encourage us and give us confidence. Just as Jesus here is shown to have total authority over evil spirits, so he continues to have the same today. Nothing has changed. Would the devil be able to distract these people from hearing and responding to God's message by this lady's continual shouting, interrupting? No. His plan to interfere, his plans to try to interfere with God's plans, well, they are stopped in an instant, aren't they? In the name of Christ. And so we today too, I think, can pray and ask with confidence that God would continue to do the same in the name of Christ that he would put an end to the devil's distractions, interruptions, to all those plans that the devil would make to try to hinder God's plan from unfolding. Maybe even tonight you're feeling, as you sit there and pray for those around you, you're feeling that there is something that the devil is distracting a friend or a colleague with, preventing them from really truly hearing and responding to the good news of Christ. If that's the case, pray tonight in the name of Jesus that that distraction would be cast aside, that the good news would then be heard clearly. Of course, this casting of the, out of the Spirit here wasn't just for the general good of the gospel going out to more and more people in Philippi. It was also specifically good for one person, wasn't it? For this lady who was previously possessed by the evil spirit. While we don't read any more about her other than the fact that the spirit immediately leaves her, it is easy to imagine, isn't it, as we think of her situation, what that moment must have felt like for her. Freedom. Freedom at last. Freedom from this demonic oppression that she's been suffering from. Freedom from these greedy, selfish owners who have just been flogging her for more and more money all these years. And of course, it seems likely then, doesn't it? Knowing what Christ has done for her here, that she too would have come to a saving faith in him. After all, do you remember what she herself had been shouting only moments before? These are servants of the Most High God telling you the way to be saved. 
Here again we see the Lord, don't we, continuing to build his church in Philippi, eliminating this instance of demonic opposition, distraction, and seemingly now also bringing this slave girl to himself. But of course the devil is not just a one-trick pony when it comes to opposing God's salvation plan, the building of his church. And this is then what we go on to see in verses 19 to 34, if you look with me. Moving on now from distraction and interruption, now the devil, via these slave girls' owners, is going to try to directly oppose the gospel, God's salvation plan, by stirring up opposition to Paul and to Silas and their message, trying ultimately to lock them and the gospel up. Look with me at, how these, uh, at these verses and see how, first of all, verse 19, why this happens. This happens because the owners of this slave girl, well, they see now that their hope of making all this money that they have been previously, well, that is now gone. And now seemingly out of anger, wanting revenge, they turn on Paul and Silas, don't they? They drag them to the marketplace to face the authorities. And there they begin by making clear how Paul and Silas, well, they are Jews, they're not like us Romans. And here they are trying to advocate these customs that are unlawful for us Romans to accept and practice. It's a charge that that could potentially have been upheld, the practicing of a new religion that hadn't received the public sanction of the Romans. But it's clear, isn't it, that that has nothing to do with what's going on here. These people simply want revenge, and they're using what they can to stir up others against Paul and Silas. And they do that successfully, don't they? If we read on, verse 22, the crowd joins in, don't they? They join in with this attack. The magistrates even order them to be stripped, beaten with rods, throwing them into prison. And in prison, they're put in this inner cell, aren't they? By the jailer who's been commanded to guard them and their feet have been fastened in the stocks. God's been building his church. What's going to happen now? We can surely see here two lines of attack that the devil is playing with here. First, the discouragement, right? The discouragement of Paul, of Silas. Surely an attack like this would make them think twice about continuing to go out with the gospel. And secondly, this then too, if Paul and Silas are locked away here in this inner cell, how can they go on spreading the gospel anyway? But of course, just as we see throughout this passage, neither neither of these things are going to derail God's gospel train from steaming full speed ahead. He's going to continue to build his church. In fact, both of those things that the devil was surely trying to achieve, we see that immediately again they are cast aside, aren't they? First, look with me at Paul and Silas's incredible response to their harsh treatment. Verse 25, even after all that's been done to them, we read of them there about midnight, praying and singing hymns to God. Wow. That is incredible, isn't it? The faith, the hope, the confidence that these men had, even in this kind of situation. These are not discouraged, disheartened missionaries, aren't they? No, these are those who are continuing to bless and praise God, even in the midst of their suffering. 
And then look how even locked here in the inner cell, God turns the table and and he literally opens the door, doesn't he, again, for continued witness. We read there at the end of verse 25 that there are these other prisoners, aren't there, inside the prison. And what are they doing? They're listening. They're listening as Paul and Silas pray, sing. The devil's plan, wasn't it, was to lock away the gospel in this inner cell. What was God's plan? To bring the gospel into this inner cell, where otherwise it may never penetrate. To speak the gospel even to these prisoners who might never have otherwise heard it. And of course, that isn't the only open door that God opens here for the continued preaching of the gospel. In verse 26, we see that God then literally opens doors, doesn't he? by means of this earthquake, shakes the foundation of the prison and it causes all the prisoners' chains to come loose. What's the purpose of this? Well, it seems surprisingly not that Paul and Silas and others immediately would escape, go back out to preach the gospel. But instead, because God had another person in mind, the jailer. The jailer is now who... God would have hear the gospel and respond. We read in verse 27, don't we, that when the jailer wakes up, he takes in his surroundings and what's just happened, and he, he thinks, doesn't he, that these prisoners, well, they must have escaped. And so despairing, he goes to kill himself. But Paul shouts to him, doesn't he? Don't harm yourself. We're here. And so the jailer stops and instead rushes into Paul and Silas. He falls trembling before them. And here is the question then. Here's the question as he brings them out. Surely the most important question that anyone could ever ask. Says, what must I do to be saved? Do you remember the devil had tried to use that slave girl, hadn't he? To distract, to interrupt. And had tried then to lock the gospel away. Yet look how God actually even uses those two things as part of his salvation plan for this jailer. After all, why do you think the jailer asks this question that he does? Almost certainly because of the slave girl, right? As this slave girl went round day after day shouting... These men are proclaiming the way of salvation. Well, word must have got around the city, mustn't it? In a way that probably it wouldn't have otherwise. And here, then because of this imprisonment, God has brought this jailer who has heard of this way of salvation into direct contact with Paul and Silas who are now there to explain it to him. I don't know about you, but as I step back and see that, that again is just so encouraging for us, isn't it? Doesn't this give you a renewed confidence in our God, who is above all things? If God can even use these things for the furtherance of his kingdom, who or what can really stop him? No one, nothing can or will stop our God and his salvation plan. After all, look at what we see then in verse 31. In response to the jailer's question, Paul and Silas replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. 
And they then speak the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. And eventually, this leads to them all coming to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Continuing on, verse 34, the jailer then brings them into his house, sets a meal before them. And we read that he is rejoicing, isn't he? Because he has come to believe in God. He is filled with joy. He and his whole household, God's church is being built He is saving people. He is bringing them into his kingdom. First Lydia, her household, then the slave girl, and now the jailer and his household. And it seems then that in these final verses of our passage, from verses 35 to 40, it isn't just these specific people that God has a plan for, because he also has a future plan, a future plan of provision to protect the future building up of the church in this place too. We don't have time to go into all of the details here this evening, but what we see in these verses, these final verses of this chapter, is Paul making it clear, right, to the magistrates and to those in authority here in Philippi, they have been wrongly treated. While the magistrates, they come, they want to dismiss them quietly, don't they? Paul refuses so that he can personally remind them that as a Roman citizen, they had no right to beat or bind him in any circumstances, let alone without a trial, which is what they did. And we read in verse 38 that the magistrates are alarmed when they hear this. And so verse 39, they come, don't they? They come personally to appease Paul and Silas and to escort them from prison, just requesting them now to leave the city. Now, while Paul and Silas do eventually obey that request, notice with me there how this has in some senses now become clear that they have been publicly validated, haven't they? In a way that otherwise they would not have. The public validation of them and potentially even their message too. Where otherwise their teaching and the gospel would have been surely under the continual cloud of suspicion in Philippi after what had been said. Well, now they leave, don't they? But they leave with it affirmed, protected. It's unlikely, after all, isn't it, that these magistrates, having just been caught out in this way with Paul and Silas, well, they're going to go straight after this same group again. And so God, through Paul's desire for justice, provides, doesn't he? He provides for the continued future building of this little church now in this place. Now as we see this, remember, just a few days before, there was no church in Philippi, was there? But there as we come to the end of this chapter, verse 40, what do we read? That after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they go to Lydia's house And we read there that they meet with the brothers and sisters and they encourage them. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? This journey, even over these few days, has not been easy. And yet God has been at work. His salvation plan is unfolding. And now here in this Roman colony where before there was hardly even a Jewish presence, there is a little church. Brothers and sisters coming together, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And again, Luke, God provides for them, doesn't he? 
Paul and Silas, they come back and they encourage them. They build them up before they head on. And maybe also another thing. Does Luke stay behind to encourage and pastor these people in this little fledgling church? From the language there in verse 40, it certainly seems like it could be. It's they who leave again. Not we. God is providing. And so as we wrap up this evening, what have we seen? God's salvation plan continuing on. Full steam ahead. Now in this place, Philippi, with these people. And here at the end, his continued ongoing provision. Nothing able to stop it. Seeing this, doesn't this, as we said at the start, give us renewed confidence? Confidence that God will continue to do the same in our time too, in our place, with the people here in Belfast, providing all that we will need going forward. Let's this evening go out of here with renewed confidence and expectation that our unchanging God who began, who was building his church here in Philippi, he has a plan to keep doing the same, right to the ends of the earth. And that includes here in Belfast. Steve opened, didn't he, with this quote, the Lord will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Maybe you're here this evening through the service and through the time around the Lord's table, through God's word, you feel, even this evening, that God has been opening your heart. Opening your heart to respond to this message of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's what we've seen here time and time again in this passage, isn't it? Individuals coming, putting their faith in Christ. Why don't you take that step this evening too, if you haven't already? As Paul and Silas said to the jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Maybe tonight you are part of God's unfolding salvation plan. For others of us here, how else can we respond? Well, first, I think by recommitting ourselves to prayer and to praying expectantly for our place here and for the people who God has put around us. As you look out at the world around you, remember nothing can stop God's plan. Stop him from building his church. Join with me in regularly praying that this would continue here in Belfast. That in the weeks, months, years to come, we would see many more Lydia's. Many more whose heart God opens to receive the gospel. And then, of course, The follow-up to that question, isn't it, is there. Will we look to play our part in doing that too, in taking the gospel out? As Paul puts it in Romans 10, verse 14, how are they to believe in him and whom they've never heard? And he writes these words, doesn't he? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Here in our passage, we could put it this way. Paul, Silas, the others here, They have beautiful feet, don't they? Because they're preaching the good news. Let's be like them this week. In our homes, in our workplaces, 
in our neighborhoods. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. What a great hope we have. We've been rejoicing in that all evening, haven't we? And what a great God we have to look to and to boldly, expectantly ask to continue to do his saving work amongst us. Let's pray now to our God, to our mighty, sovereign, saving God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that in the Lord Jesus Christ, you opened the way of salvation up to us. Lord, and we thank you for those of us here who have put our trust in Christ for your work in doing that in our lives. Lord, we thank you that you opened our hearts to receive Christ. Lord, we give you all thanks because we in ourselves would never have come to you, but you have drawn us to yourself. And Lord, as we now respond to that, rejoice in that. Lord, give us boldness and give us confidence as we see again your saving plans and purposes here in Philippi. Give us confidence and expectation that, Lord, you are continuing to do the same right across this world today too. And Lord, you're continuing to do the same here in our city. Lord, make us expectant. Give us boldness. Give us courage to be those who go and proclaim the good news. And then, Lord, we ask that you would do the work, that as we speak, Lord, you would open hearts to come to Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are going to close by singing this rousing song, And Can It Be? It's a great song that picks up on God's salvation plan for us in the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us. Let's stand and sing together.
may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace.